I was trying to explain to people last night why British accents are annoying and I did a bad job. <laughs> like, no one else agreed with you intuitively? No. Yeah, that was the thing. I expected at least one in the group to be like, yeah, but everybody was like, everybody was kind of like, I feel that way about Australians. <laughs> what? And we have a listenership in Australia, so we support you all down under. Uh, Australians aren't even like, the thing that's annoying about British people is that, is that they sound like stuck up, at least posh, like London accent. But that's BBC that's the stereotype. It's like more than that. What do people not like about Australian accents? They might be annoying, but they're perfectly harmless. <laughs> <laughs> They're not imperialists. Um, I think that people find them to be like really intense bros. Well, I've like never had a, like that kind of negative interpretation of Australian accent. Ever interacted with an Australian? Yeah. I yes, I've interacted yeah, yeah. with a lot of Australians. I have two Australians. I have a, I have two Australian cousins. Like my first cousins are Australian. Oh, really? My yeah, my aunt is Australian. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. So. Uh, <laughs> I thought you said I'm mixed. <laughs> we all know my theory that I am mixed, but it's not with Australian. Yes, we all know your theory that you're like, I have the exact genetic makeup as Amber Rose. <laughs> you can tell because I buzzed my head and dyed it blonde too. This is the meat of the podcast. <laughs> have, you ever, have you ever caught your... Have you ever caught your profile reflection in the mirror? Yeah. 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 This shit feel like I won't ever make it home. Graphics backed up, I got to get off of this road. on the gas, I swear. I'm stateside. <laughs> I'm in the States. <laughs> Do you have your sunnies on? <laughs> <laughs> okay, this is She's in Russia. I'm Smith, and I'm currently in West Hampton, <laughs> Massachusetts. <laughs> and I'm, <clears throat> I'm Lily, and I'm... In my room in St. Petersburg, Russia, as usual. Russia. <laughs> We're going to shut the fuck up. I think that intro was at least nice because it didn't sound like our souls were dead. Yeah, that's true. All right, so what are we talking about today? Okay, so this past week, basically, very recently, there have been some new developments in the Trump-Putin-Russian government scandal, as it's being called now. So one, the thing about the Flynn, I don't know, maybe when we get to it, I'll like, I'll be able to sort of like magically produce some kind of <laughs> knowledge, but we're going to try not to just regurgitate, right? Yeah, we're going to, we're going to make a concerted effort to not just tell, I mean, part of this, people are confused specifically about these most recent developments. So I think we should try to do like a little bit of a, like, here's what happened, but we're going to try not to just be like a mama bird force feeding her children Wikipedia content. Well, it's not Wikipedia content this time, but. We could. <laughs> this content is great. Go to Wikipedia. What? It's great. A fresh from the media. No, I think we should do a little summary, and I don't really know exactly yeah. how we're gonna like 
move on from that because it, it might take longer than we think. But that's what always happens. God damn it. Yeah. So I divided it into like two main developments. Or actually, they're not developments. They're, there's been really one development, and that's like the Trump Jr. email chain publishing this week okay wait so you wanted to divide it into two the email and then what was the second part well the second part was actually is the michael flynn peter smith thing but actually that isn't a recent development so but i think we should still talk about it because i have no idea what you're talking about oh jesus all on me and I i don't really know what i'm talking about either but i could try I just wanted to start with what I'm calling development number one. Development number one is the like weird relationship between Don Jr., the email chain with Rob Goldstone, and like a Russian, no, Azerbaijani father son pair of like real estate moguls slash pop star. The son is a pop star. That yeah. is just such a clusterfuck that we definitely need to break down a little bit. Yeah. But there's another, the other development that I didn't mention is that Trump and, and Putin met in person for the first time at the G20 summit. I think that, that we should talk about that at the end because A, it was maybe the most recent. B, it's not directly like part of this like uncovering of new evidence or anything like that. It's just a meeting. And C, I think it leads very nicely into our propaganda hour. Oh, that's true. It does. Okay. Why don't then we'll, let's go ahead and start with Michael Flynn. No, oh, God damn it. Start off weak. Okay. <laughs> let's start off weak. Okay. And then so, build. So <laughs> after we've lost all the listeners, <laughs> everyone slowly takes off their headphones, <laughs> walks away. This is not for me. <laughs> <laughs> I liked them, but, but this is no. over. <laughs> Okay, in June of this year, of 2017, this journalist named Shane Harris reported in the Wall Street Journal about a, basically a a Republican operative who was on a mission to track down those Hillary Clinton's 30,000 deleted emails. Do you remember, everyone remember the deleted emails? Yeah, yeah. Those emails are, as we recall, from the fall of 2016. This operative, his name is Peter Smith. Do you know what a Republican operative is? I had to look it up. No. I don't know either. No, I mean, it's like, it's like, the way I understood it was like, it's like someone who is working for the government, but in a kind of secretive way, like James Bond. Okay. But James Bond is a spy. He's a spy. I literally had typed in what is a government operative, and I don't know still. Why is it so hard? But yeah, I know that James Bond was one of the examples. <laughs> That's all I remembered. <laughs> but he's like an agent. A Republican James Bond. A Republican James Bond was probably not as attractive as him and didn't drink martinis as much. Um, and he's, he, he embarks on his mission to track them down in the fall of 2016. This is, this is the part where I'm a little bit confused. Basically, the whole... The, like whole story is that he contacts some quote-unquote Russian hackers, also according to the journalist for the Wall Street Journal, Harris. He was telling people that he, when he was searching for these emails, Smith, Peter Smith, the operative, was telling people that he was coordinating with Michael Flynn. Mm -hmm. 
um, during the campaign was, again, Trump's foreign policy advisor. But Peter Smith himself was not working for the Trump campaign officially. He was like a Trump-supporting operative, um, but he's not officially a, a, an employee. Wait, who is he officially employed by? The Republican Party? Yeah. I mean, just not, he's not like a Trump campaign person. Okay. Yeah. So apparently at some point, U.S. officials were aware that Russian hackers, some again, quote, Russian hackers, don't know what that means. Right, right. Like these hackers were discussing sending leaked emails to Flynn via a third party, which it's insinuated in this context that the third party is this guy, Peter Smith. So again, like this is some kind of like another side of the story from the U.S. officials point of view. And this is all being reported by um, the Wall Street Journal. The question of whether or not Peter Smith actually is in contact with Michael Flynn remains. One theory is that he could have just been sort of name dropping Flynn. And also the fact like the the result of his mission is basically that it failed. I mean, he never was able to get those 30,000 deleted emails. Mm -hmm. In May of this year, he speaks to the Wall Street Journal. Um, They publish, I think, in June. And then on May 14th, just like a couple weeks after speaking to the journalist, to Shane Harris, Peter Smith commits suicide in like a Minnesota hotel room. And does he give a reason for it? He writes like a, he leaves his like documents and stuff, and he and he writes a suicide note. Um, yeah, he writes like a note saying that like it was something to do with like insurance and health, some some very bizarre, not politically related. Oh, okay. But at first, like his death is reported at first as that he died of natural causes, or people are just like, we don't see any reason to believe that like there was any. Foul play. Foul play, yeah, at work. And he most likely died of natural causes. As far as I know, it's not until, like, this week that it came out that he that he had committed suicide. Mm, okay. Which is really sort of, like, a little extra twist. It just adds to this layer of drama to the whole story. All of the elements of the story are still pretty unknown. Like, did he actually have a relationship with Michael Flynn? Like, what? who were the Russian hackers, quote-unquote, that he spoke to, all this stuff? And now he's dead. Mm-hmm. So we can't ask him. I'm a little concerned. And this is the part that I was like kind of stressing about in the beginning. I'm concerned about like what people mean when they say Russian hackers. And I didn't like get any other sources on that. And I'm being blocked from the Wall Street Journal, which is really annoying. Oh, you mean the Russian hackers that specifically talked to Peter Smith, not just the general phrase. Not the general phrase, but I mean the phrase that Peter Smith and Ch- Shane Harris are using because, um, wait, maybe I can read this other article because the article I read was just saying Russian hackers. And I mean, that's sort of a common thing we've seen is that like people aren't being specific about what that means. Does it mean like Russian, one of two things, does it mean Russian people who are hackers or does it mean people hired by the Russian government? So like a yeah, huge slash, difference like government operatives yeah yeah well they don't have to even be government operatives like it would just be bad if it was like their orders were coming from the russian government right but they could like straight up be people who work for the russian government full-time right or that but it's like but like peter smith like 
is he contacting people just like Russian like hackers that he's heard are just like really good? <laughs> yeah. In hopes of what though? He wants to get those emails. I'm just saying maybe it's just a coincidence that they're Russian. He's just like, oh, so, like they just happen to be good at hacking. So so that's the story. I mean, I I definitely like well, as I was reading about this, as soon as I got to the report, which again was just reported this week, July 13th and 14th, I think the Chicago Tribune potentially was the first paper to report it, that Smith's death, Peter Smith's death was by suicide. I definitely had that like dun 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 moment where I felt like I was like a detective and I was like putting I felt very Rachel Maddow and I was like I need to spread out all my papers and think about this <laughs> and like hang up a portrait of Smith and flip yeah. and <laughs> and then put some yarn between them. Anyway, okay, so um, what were you saying? I, I just wanted to say, like, like remember the last episode we recorded about the Russian meddling? We were kind of like confused about what that actually what that accusation actually entailed, like encompassed, like what are the things that the Russian government's being accused of having done? And I just wanted to quickly summarize that the the Russian meddling is thought to include Stealing the Democratic National Committee emails, number one, and use of social media bots to spread fake news about Hillary Clinton. Right. And right. and actually hacking like election centers. Centers. Yeah, like computers. Yeah. So But I thought that that was like attempted but unsuccessful or something like that. Sure. But like attempted. So okay. that those three things that I just named are the main things that like that Robert Mueller for the special counsel and the on one side and the House and Senate Intelligence Committee committees um, are investigating Th those three big claims. In addition, there is the collusion in terms of the Russian government officials and Trump's campaign basically coming to agreements to get to help get Trump elected. So, I mean, those are those are separate things. Well, it's not necessarily separate. Like the question is, did Trump the did the Trump campaign coordinate with Russian government officials to hack the DNC? Sure. Or sorry, or or not just the DNC, but also Podesta's emails. Podesta's and 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 the fake news and basically all those three things that we just mentioned. Right, right. right. It's so it's not a separate issue. It's just like did was this done independently or was the Trump campaign involved? Right. And right, you're right. So it's not it's not like actually separate, but I don't know. I mean, a GOP operative going to members of the Russian government, if those hackers were hired or were part of the Russian government, and saying, like, I want you to help me expose or find these thirty thousand emails would fit into the to I guess the category or the accusation of collusion of collusion but it's not the dnc emails it's a different e issue different emails it's a different email issue yeah. um but uh. but then the second thing that we've been that we keep hinting at that that's going to be like a big topic this whole trump jr thing also email thread well the question is what is that connected to so that's sort of it's connected to like this idea that that 
government officials and members of Trump's campaign were discussing things. And like, what things are they discussing? It's thematically connected, but we don't know if it's actually like logistically connected. <laughs> There's so much juice there. It's just, it's crazy. So I know, but that, I just don't have any way of analyzing that. Like that, I just like kind of want to put that aside because it just seems like, okay, there's like some guy who was like doing research and then he killed himself. And I just like don't know how to. No, what? I'm not talking about him anymore. anymore. I'm, oh, I'm talking wait, about Trump what are you talking now about? as being the juicy. Oh, oh, sorry. No, the committing oh, suicide sorry. Yeah, is yeah. dramatic and weird. And I had my moment, like my mad out moment, but then I got over it. And I was like, oh, wait, I have okay. no idea what to think because <laughs> we don't have any information. And now he's dead. So now we're coming to the Trump Jr., Hillary Clinton, Emin, Rob uh, Kardashian. Rob Kardashian. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> Rob Goldstein. And who else is involved? Oh, that lawyer. Natalia Veselinskaya, and then and then the last person, or there's so there's eight people in this meeting. Um, not actually though. There's three people in the meeting. No. That's yes, I'm positive. Ah, you hate it when I'm right. <laughs> you're not right. <laughs> I I'm positive. I was, no, you're you're literally not right. There there well, were eight four people. people in four that people. Meeting. No, because no. oh my God, Smith, the people in the meeting. Are Manafort, yeah, um, Trump Jr., Natalia Veselnitska, the lawyer, right, and the fourth is uh, Jared Kushner. No, Lily, you're missing people. You don't know about these people. So right now it's Trump Jr., Kushner, Manafort, Natalia Veselnitskaya. Is that how it's pronounced? It's fine. The publicist Rob Goldstone, this guy named Akhmetshin, who's who is now a lobbyist. He's Russian, but he has American citizenship since 2009. And he's a lobbyist for Natalia Veselnitskaya's organization. And then there was a translator, an interpreter. And then there's a, an eighth unknown person who hasn't been identified yet. Yeah, I mean, yes, I see those people. It's just, it's sort of weird because, like, the a lot of publications I read that reference the meeting only referred to the other people that the people that I mentioned, the four of them. Those were the people that were originally mentioned in the in the email chain, right? And they're also like for the most well known people, I guess. The big picture, though, is that like it's it's a bit complicated how this went down, but this music publicist slash tabloid journalist who that we've been <laughs> mentioning whose yeah, name is Rob actually. Goldstone yeah and he at one point represented a Russian Azerbaijani pop singer named Emin Emin and his father are in the real estate business in in Russia I think or yeah maybe yeah. in the for- former Soviet Union or I don't know exactly where in Russia so they so they know this guy Rob Goldstone because Rob Goldstone represented Emin at some point during his pop career or potentially still and they know Trump the father-son pair know Trump because they worked together during the Miss Universe pageant in 2013 yeah so basically Emin what's their last name Algarov Algarov I don't know Algarov Agalarov, yeah. So, yeah, I just want to like, so Emin Agalarov is like a businessman and singer 
songwriter. Um, and in 2013, he and his father were like the business side orchestration of bringing Miss Universe to Moscow. So in 2013, Miss Universe was in Moscow. And while Trump was there for Miss Universe, he like had a cameo in one of Emin's music videos. Did you watch that? Yeah. So that's how their connection was made. And then... Oh, and they're also realists. They're, they're not just businessmen. They're like real estate yeah. people. So they were discussing building something in Moscow. And Trump's like, oh, I'm going to build a tower. Yeah. Agalarov Sr. I forget what his... Aris. Aris, yeah. It's a kind of a pretty name. Aris Agalarov um, ha- has been in the past compared to Trump because he's like, you know, a real estate mogul or whatever. They're also kind of Russian. It's confusing. I mean, they're they're... F- both Azerbaijan born but like live in Russia and speak Russian and MN performs in Russian and stuff so yeah and I think I mean it's just that that's why I said former Soviet Union I mean it's it's important that to note that Azerbaijan is a former part of the Soviet Union so like that's not like that crazy that makes sense that that there's a overlap. Okay, so these people exist. They know the Trumps from Miss Universe. And during the uh, Republican nomination right around that time in like mid-June of last year, um, Don Jr. gets this email from Goldstein saying like, oh, Goldstone. Uh, Goldstone. But you said Every Steen. Every time. You're like, no, no, you said it. Steen like, last time. You did. Okay, go- sorry, yeah, Goldstone. Just Goldstone. I'm sorry. Goldstone. Sends this email to Don Jr. being like, Emin has some like anti Hillary information for you. And so, like, they, I mean, you, people can go read the emails themselves. There, there aren't that many of them, and it's pretty easy to follow. And Don Jr. is like, I would love this information. Can we set up a call? So, presumably, he has this call with this like international, well, not international, but pop star. And then, who like reading some articles, people were like accusing him of like not actually being that good. They're like, with his okay looks and like, what somewhat decent voice it's like people have said that like it's his dad just like lets him perform in his like buildings and because he owns a lot of like the main concert venues and stuff it it works out for him but basically that this pop star has some information about Hillary which also doesn't make any sense so they have this like call and then as a result of the call or the implied call they set up this meeting in Trump Tower between this lawyer natalia vasilnitskaya um one of her things is like lobbying against the magnitsky act which was this like act blacklisting russian i don't know i guess like oligarchs and diplomats who have human rights violations and if you remember this happened i I can't remember when this happened like a while ago the obama administration um, installed this act or whatever, or Congress did, I don't actually know. 2012. And then, 2012. And then Putin was like, well, fine, you can't adopt Russian babies then. So that's like yeah. the two things. So Vasilnitskaya, she's one of her like main agendas. agendas is to like get this Magnitsky Act repealed or whatever. I don't know. That's at the end. Yeah. Trump Jr. says like, oh, yeah, like the meeting was not very fruitful. Like Vasilnitska like just wanted to talk about the Magnitsky Act, whatever. Like it was lame. It was nothing. I didn't even tell my dad about it. That's what he says. To go back a little bit and like just sort of comment on the overview you just gave. There's a little bit of a backstory, which is that there's another figure 
who's playing a kind of behind-the-scenes role here, potentially. And his name is Yuri Chaika. Yeah. And Yuri Chaika is the eternal attorney general of Russia. It seems pretty clear, though it's not crystal clear here. It's not, not quite, like, it's ambiguous in the language of the emails. But it seems clear that the Agalara family, so that the Azerbaijani-Russian father-son pair, are connect like are friends with or connected to Yuri Chaika's family. Again, attorney general. The <laughs> why I say this. In the email exchange between this publicist Rob Goldstone and Trump Jr., Goldstone, when he says like why Emin is gonna contact wants to contact Trump Jr., he says that Emin has information like like dirt on Clinton, specifically from the quote crown prosecutor of russia it's not emin who who met with the crown prosecutor but goldstone says it's aris the father agalarov who met with the quote crown prosecutor of russia and can provide the trump campaign with this dirt on hillary clinton and it's important to note that because like as you mentioned when you're telling the overview like why would this like real estate mogul father-son pop star mediocre pop star pair have <laughs> have any dirt on Hillary Clinton like where did they get that dirt and the answer potentially given the language of the the email is they have that dirt from the attorney general uh, oh my god attorney general Yuri Chaika because there's it's not a real title crown prosecutor of Russia is not a real title it's just goldstone's way of saying something well, I think the crown prosecutor is is the British equivalent. Oh, okay. So when Goldstone has like after the fact, after the pub- the emails were published, when he was asked about like what he meant by crown prosecutor, he says he's referring to the Russian lawyer Natalia Vaselnitska, but like that's very implausible because she's a lawyer and like there's no reason that anyone would call her a crown of any kind. <laughs> like it just doesn't it's just He's clearly just covering something up. Yes, but also this seems like the type of person that would, like, exaggerate to make him seem more important, to make himself seem more important. In that same chain of emails between Goldstone and Trump Jr., Goldstone calls her, calls the lawyer, Veselnitskaya, a Russian government lawyer. He says a Russian government lawyer will come to, like, Trump Tower and will be at the meeting. And I just don't really, it's hard for me to believe that he... Like, there's a big difference between a random Russian government attorney. Attorney. He doesn't even say lawyer. It just sounds very sort of like like your general bureaucratic, just a person who's connected to the Russian government and the crown prosecutor of Russia. <laughs> yeah, but, but, he's, but he's not, he's not necessarily, necessarily saying that the crown prosecutor is the one that wants to meet with him. He's just saying that the crown prosecutor is the one that met with the father, Eris. I know, but that's what I'm saying. It's very important that like Yuri Chaika is potentially the person who met with Ag- Agalarov okay. and gave this incriminating info. So because that's not being publicly like proven right now that in fact goldstone's denying that he's saying no 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 i was talking he's saying i was saying vaselnitskaya has the dirt and she was the one who met with ours but that's like almost obviously not true from his wording given that in the same email chain he refers to with very different terms to um i see what what i see as two different people yeah the other connection to yuri Chaika, which is just another sort of connection between the families of the the agalarovs and the Chaikas. 
Chaikis, is that I'm not going to get too into this, but like Yuri Chaika, his family, he has two sons, were accused by our favorite Alexei Navalny of corruption. Back in December 2015, Navalny did the, like the same kind of sort of expose movie about their wealth, their yeah, about the family's business and corruption right, as, and as stuff. As he did about uh, as he did yeah. about Medvedev, yeah. And so that was back in December 2015. So everyone like like national news in Russia is talking about Navalny's anti-corruption foundation and stuff. On December 8th, 2015. So when all the media is talking about the Chaikas and how, like, all these corruption accusations, a newspaper in Russia publishes an op-ed by none other than Aras Agalarov. Oh, okay, okay. And Agalarov's letter, op-ed, is, like, addressed to Navalny, basically, or the makers of this expose film. He's defending the Chaikov family, basically, like, calling out Navalny's foundation for exaggerating facts, for, like, putting together random facts making unfounded claims it's not a particularly convincing <laughs> letter because some of the things he says he's like uh i looked at it and they didn't spend 29 million on that villa they spent 26 oh my god <laughs> and it's just like uh okay oh at the very end of the letter he like makes some kind of very questionable comparison with like goebbels relationship to the truth or something <laughs> between alexei navalny and the truth yeah, it's really intense. Like, basically, like, and he's like, I'm not saying anything, but why don't you think about it? <laughs> That's like the last <laughs> line of the fun thing for you to think about. Through an empty sky, to the dark Wait, so should we say something more, maybe more about who this Russian government attorney is? Like, I think it's a little bit unclear if she's actually a Russian government attorney. Yeah, it like, it seems like, okay, so she's Russian. As you said, she did a bunch of cases recently, like high, more high profile cases regarding the Magnitsky Act. So lifting sanctions against Rush, Russian officials, right? Let me see. Um... The Guardian reports that she did. She spent most of her career working on business disputes in the courtrooms, courtrooms of the Moscow region. So that's sort of pointing to her being like n not such a like high level power broker or whatever. Another Yuri Chaika thing is that, in, according to the Guardian, it says a source who knows her told the Guardian she has a long-standing personal connection with Yuri Chaika, Russia's powerful prosecutor general. Right. Chaika is just popping up here and there every which where and chaika is very much connected to the russian government so that's just there's that i feel like i read one article that was talking about how people are saying like oh you know agalarov is like connected to the russian government and they were basically being like well but anybody at that like level of wealth and power is like going to at some point interact with the government in some way but that he doesn't have like direct influence over or influenced by putin in the same way that maybe other russian oligarchs would be no but it's not okay but it doesn't matter if his influence if he is like even personally friends with Yuri Chaika and Yuri Chaika has some kind of like compromising documents or something, then that's the like, he's the intermediary. It's not really about Putin in that case. Okay. Okay. I mean, but it, at some point it is about Putin. Yeah. At some point it has to be, but it doesn't matter that Agalarov doesn't have like 
power in the government. It's that he has like a relationship with Chaika. Yeah, and he could like personally obtain some information that he could personally pass on to Donald Trump's but son. He was, and he would be incentivized to do that because he likes the Trumps. He wants to help Trump become president, just like a lot of people. Okay. So the the way that Rachel Maddow presented this information, she actually started with Pussy Riot, but not actually Pussy Riot, but Nadia. And she talks about how they did a music video about Yuri Chaika, and she's like, explain. She's like, see that arm movement they're doing where their arms are crossed and their hands are sort of moving back and forth? That's meant to represent a seagull because in Russian, Chaika means seagull. Is that true? Yeah. Okay. Basically, she, that was like the way she introduced it, but it wasn't any of the other Pussy Riot people. It was, it was just Nadia, as far as I could tell. And then, which I hadn't watched that music video. I've seen that one. Yeah. Uh, okay. And so that's how she introduces Yuri Chaika and kind of like, Hold him responsible for the poor humanitarian judicial practices in Russia, which I guess I wouldn't be that surprised if she was right. But then she goes on to talk about this meeting. Like, she was like, are there any Russians that weren't in that meeting? She's like, maybe just because there wasn't room on the elevator. And I was just like, oh, ew, what? Why? Like, yes, there were. It was just like this weird thing where she was almost yes, explicitly. Yes, there are millions of Russians yeah, that actually exactly. weren't in the meeting. But she's like, it was almost as if she was joking, like the entire country of Russia was in that meeting. And I was like, wow, that's like a very explicit version of what you've been doing, which is like implicating all Russians. She's like, now I'm actually making the direct joke that like all Russians would have been in that meeting had the elevator been big enough. Right, right, right. Because she, again, she doesn't say Russian officials. Was there anyone in the Russian government who was not in that meeting? She doesn't say that. No, no. Yeah, she says, she Russians. says Russians. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, oh, God. I mean, it's also really, to me, like, lame that she started this topic by showing Nadia, Nadia from Pussy yeah. video. Because, like, I, I saw the video. It's just, it's one of her newer ones. So it's, like, yeah. that yeah. sort of just, like, vanilla pop. Vanilla poppy, yeah. yeah. Um, she's super hot. It's a very clear message. Maybe we tried to discuss this on the Pussy Red episode, but I'm just, like... I think she, I think she's having that same like psychological response that I mean we talked about this before but not on the podcast but the same psychological response that people coming back from World War II or people in a post World War II era had where like they're really like traumatized and scared and just like want to feel secure and like for things to not be complex and so like she's just doing non complex things. Wait, what? Who who are you referring to when you said people responding to World War II? What? Remember we had that whole conversation about how, like, the soldiers came back from World War II and women who had formerly been in the workforce left it in order to have these, like, little box suburban lives. And it was, like, easy to comprehend. It was, like, psychologically soothing for a time before they realized it, like, wasn't good for their souls in general. And I feel like that's sort of what Nadia is doing. Whoa. That's interesting. I mean, yeah, you're talking about our conversation about, like, post-war creation of the housewife in the U.S., yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, but what's so biz- not bizarre exactly, but sort of like specific to Nadia's case is that she's kind of like doing this hyper normalizing thing in the context of being an activist. So it's like being like a poppy sort of one message, but activist. Yeah, I mean, it's like she gets to retain, even if it's a false identity, but an identity of an activist while actually not making any risks or being complex publicly. 
I don't disagree with what you what you just said. It seems like not very cool that Maddow started off with that. Well, right. And that's kind of what made me like rethink about it again. Be like, oh, yeah, this is sad that this is like how naughty it does it. Like the fact that Maddow chose that and they're both just these like kind of vanilla people now. They're like vanilla sites vanilla. I think by vanilla, we mean like very one sided, right? One dimensional. One dimensional. Yeah. I can hope for the best. Maybe Maddow will like resurface into complexity but maybe Mada has always been vanilla we, yeah, we don't know yeah. that much about her no we don't and not like i didn't really pay attention to her before. The, yeah there's like something about tv that forces people to be vanilla yeah though that's what you were saying or just to be really loud about one thing the most striking kind of interpretation to me is the comparison between this exchange but like let's get dirt on hillary clinton from people who are russian of russian nationality and questionably potentially connected to the Russian government. Right. Comparison between that and the other party, the Democratic Party, getting the compromising material about Trump in the form of the Steele dossier, which also required a person to go to Russia and get the compromising information about Trump from Russian people who are potentially connected to the government, or actually were. I mean, this is this is what... Uh, did you watch this interview with Glenn Greenwald? Is that the democracy now one yeah yeah so this is glenn greenwald points it out in that yeah i watched that or i listened to it but okay but yeah so glenn greenwald which is like kind of the comparison you were making like draws this parallel between um the democrats using christopher Steele to build this dossier against trump in the same way that like the trump campaign potentially was coordinating with the russians to gather like dirt on hillary like, I understand the parallel, but I don't know if I, like, buy it completely, right? Because it's different for you to hire a researcher to dig up dirt on your opponent than to accept outside help from a foreign government, if if that is what happened. Yeah, then, I mean, to me, just it's potentially way worse to hire someone the way the Democrats did. To yeah, hire what? someone no, to go no, investigate no, no. to get dirt? How is that not worse but than someone calling you? That's like, well, but that's like standard. Like the Trump campaign was also definitely doing that. That is like standard campaign. Yeah, but how in point. any, so, okay, so if we're not talking, if we're not, there's the question of legality and there's the question of sort of like ethics and, I, and right, Greenwald right. points that out. And like, if we're talking about legality, it's blurry right now. Like as Gre Greenwald points out that, yeah, like a lot of times this is just the way it works, what you just said. Like, people, campaigns try to smear their opposing campaign, so they try to get, like, dirt on the other candidate. But if we're just talking in the realm of ethics, how is it, it like, more sort of, like, shocking and horrible to people that when someone's just contacted passively, like, Trump Jr. is contacted by this guy. It was like, hey, I have dirt on the main opposing candidate to your dad. How is that worse than hiring someone to go get dirt? But no, come on, Lily. I don't. What? Lily, he's saying I have dirt from a foreign government. 
Um, well, okay. that's, now, that's where the suspect ethics come in, not in that somebody will receive dirt. And I think the example that I heard on NPR why like this it is like not ethical is that during the Carrie Bush presidential elections, the Carrie team received a binder dossier, whatever you want to call it, on dirt on George Bush, and they didn't know the source, and they turned it over to the FBI. So that's like the counter example. Like why they turned it over to the FBI? Because, yeah, maybe they thought like this could be illegal and this could be it, – it's sort of – maybe it's a mix of ethics and, and legality. But don't you see how like the creation of the Steele dossier, since it also involved gov- people connected to the Russian government, like how I, – I just failed to see such a stark difference at all. How, how do you not see the difference? One is you are hiring somebody, a firm, who does this to go dig up dirt on your opponent. The other is accepting dirty materials from a foreign government that has the potential to de- jeopardize the sovereignty of your democracy. That's the difference. Wait, why? I, you're going to have to explain this to me. I like, do not get the difference between going out and seeking it like, if we imagine it to be of the same nature, seeking it and receiving it, why is it so different? Okay, because the the in the case, let's just, for the sake of this, just assume that that Veselnikaya, what's her name? Veselnikaya. Veselnikaya? No, that's not her name. What's her name? Veselnikaya. Veselnitskaya, let's just for the sake of this explanation assume that she is like directly a Russian lawyer. Okay, we know that's like not really true, but let's just assume that for that. You mean a Russian government lawyer? Yeah, like that's why people are like, that would be the argument where people like the hysteria could be like semi-justified, right? No, because she could just be a private lawyer, like not employed by the Russian government and still have... Oh my God, you're not listening to me. I'm saying in the case where she is a Russian government lawyer, that's where the indignation comes in. No, right? no, it doesn't. Because Chaika could also have given her this information and he is for sure okay. a Russian government all right, employee. All right, all right. Let's just assume, though, that the Russian government is directly involved in coordinating this meeting, okay? okay. Just for the sake of this conversation, okay. okay? The reason that this is worse than paying somebody to go do research where they will be asking Russian officials is that the in this case, the Russian government is driving the program or the agenda, which means that they have specific motivations and specific goals, and they're using this meeting to fulfill those goals. It's not just the meeting itself where they're like, we're just doing some information sharing. Like oh, they have okay. a specific overall goal that has to do with undermining you know, America's belief in their own democracy. And this meeting is an instance of that plan being executed. Okay, okay. No, that's good. And I think probably it would be it would have been helpful if somebody interviewing the people interviewing Glenn Greenwald on Democracy Now had pointed out that difference more clearly. Because that yeah, that would be the key difference. It's the motive. It's the motive and it's the it is the role of that particular instance or event in the greater agenda. I also really trust Glenn Greenwald and I really appreciate like his mildness and his diligence and like not being reactionary. But I think that he has gone himself into this mode where like he automatically like rebuts anything. 
and like claims that it's an overreaction or that he doesn't see any difference between like Republican actions and Democratic actions. But I don't think that that's necessarily true. Okay, it's not. No, you're right. You're right. Okay, the the seeking and the receiving are different. But then when you actually, so that's assuming a lot of things. So I think one of the other thing that Glenn Greenwald is trying to do when he like immediately questions everything is, yeah, by it's trying to point out that like, yeah, this is like a very incriminating series of emails because it very much looks like Trump. It very much looks like Trump Jr. was told that the Russian government has has a mode is trying to get your father to become president and like we want to talk about that and push that agenda forward and trump jr is like great awesome let's do it and like (laughs) i love this (laughs) yeah and that's like yeah i love this it's like so funny and so quotable goldstone's words are that this information this dirt on hillary clinton is part of the russian government's larger agenda right we should read this quote do you have the Yeah. Do you have the emails open? Yeah, I'm listening. Okay. This is obviously very high level and sensitive information, but it's part of Russia and its government support for Mr. Trump. Helped along by government support. Yeah. Helped along by Eris and Emin. See? Like, yes, totally. That's Goldstone's words, which is not like we should trust him. But like, why the fuck does Goldstone know that? Yeah. Like, Goldstone just seems like an idiot. I'm not saying we should give Goldstone any, like, credibility, basically, for having any accuracy, but it seems obviously very, very close to something like evidence. Yeah, yeah, me, yeah. I mean, it's definitely... Oh, and one thing I want to note, because this was one of the things that I was confused about before I read about all this, and so it was Grace when I talked to her about it, is that, like, people are like, why did he publish these on Twitter? Like, what was the incentive? But the incentive was that the New York Times had them already and was going to publish them. And they told him. And so he published them on on his own accord. Oh, they had the emails? Yeah, or they had, like, enough information about it that it was, like... A moot point. Let me read this. On Tuesday morning, after being told that the Times was about to publish the content of the emails, setting up a meeting with a Kremlin-connected lawyer, Donald Trump, J. Trump Jr. posted the email chain on Twitter along with a comment. This is just following the story that came out about the meeting itself. So the New York Times publishes the story of the meeting on July 8th, and then a few days later on July 11th, I guess is what you just said. Trump Jr. He, uh, like realizes that they're about to publish the content of the emails and he publishes them and he has this note attached that's like, I'm just being transparent. And like, it's kind of insane. It's kind of insane. And I love there's one phrase and he says, to put this in context, this occurred before the current Russian fer- fever was in vogue. Isn't that yeah. an amazing sentence? It's just like him being like, well, if there'd been all the hubbub about Russia at the time, I would have met with them. It's like you were part of one of the things that caused the hubbub. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a really ridiculous thing to say. Oh, my yeah. God. Before it was cool, this whole sort of like the note attached to the the emails that, that Trump Jr. publishes, his like preface to the emails, it really is sort of an amazing and absurd like document just like he's like playing that card kind of of like look how transparent i'm being therefore everything is fine if if you're transparent then like then it doesn't <laughs> matter what yeah. you're saying you know what i mean yeah, yeah. and it's it's so bizarre because it's like about you're publishing emails in which you really basically allude to the fact that the people investigating trump are are right that like there is collusion and yet you're like 
I'm just going to show you guys there's nothing to see here. It's like, but there is a lot to see. Yeah, but he says, like, he, he just quickly dissuades any reason for there being, quote, unquote, anything to see in the emails. He goes, it was not a rush. Uh, the, the lawyer was not a government official. Um, I thought that the information was about the information they suggested they had about Hillary Clinton, I thought was political opposition research. What is that? That's that's like the phrase that's used to describe something like the dossier. Okay. Which is like standard procedure. Yeah, so he's basically saying not a big deal, standard procedure, no government officials involved. But yet he publishes an email chain in which there is reference to Russian government officials and he's acting like that's not there. He's almost like hoping people won't read them or something or that they won't actually like because there's no, there's there only the words of Goldstone that y- there's just nothing you can really prove it's just his words i have a really hard time evaluating like how illogical this family is like maybe they're more logical than we think maybe they aren't logical and it's like useless to try to reason about it it's unclear to me i know but it's so insane i'm not super confused about why he released them like what do you expect his comment to be like apologetic or something he's just trying to like get ahead of them being released anyway and he's making a statement that's not going to implicate him more how did they get leaked to the new york times did you look into that? No, I didn't look into it. That that's a big question. Like again, for me, it's like if he's releasing this under some sort of pressure because he wants to be ahead of the game. Yeah, it just it still blows my mind that people aren't more careful. What are you like emailing about this kind of shit in a way that could like be found by the New York Times? Like, yeah, it's just bizarre yeah. to me. Really. But I mean, at that point, like, okay, there were a lot of people in that meeting. There were probably a lot of people around who had to, like, do the logistics for that meeting. So, like, rumors of the meeting get leaked first, right? And then, like, okay, well, presumably there are emails or some sort of some form of um, way that they set up the meeting. And then you just kind of conclude from there. This whole conversation about, like, how important the emails are or, like, what it means, it kind of comes back to our original conversation about the fact that our personally our concern isn't so much with like did the russian government actually do exactly what it's being accused of having done in the 2016 elections that is of concern our concern though is particularly like how mainstream media and government officials of all stripes are approaching this topic that that's our main concern because we don't want yeah, we don't yeah. want people to come away with this thinking that we're saying like it's like russia had nothing to do with this you don't have any evidence right, like, right. we're not like we're not actually like that much in agreement with trump even though we agree about some of his witch hunt claims like it's not like right, we're like right. part of <laughs> that camp that's saying like there's no evidence i don't believe a word of it but what we want to focus on is like the approach is problematic and that's what greenwald also focuses on a lot he's also skeptical like he's in that democracy now thing he's like you know if if the intelligence community does have uh evidence that russia hacked the election like let us see it because he's he's still being like there isn't i haven't seen concrete evidence yeah yeah which like yeah the implications of i mean he might just be being critical and being like i'm a journalist and i need to see the evidence before i come to a conclusion but like the kind of extreme conclusion of that is like oh this is some sort of conspiracy that all the intelligence agencies are cooperating on yeah i mean he does say at some point in that democracy now interview he says like like it's very easy to see 
why the Russian government would want Trump to be president. And that was like people were kind of open about that, Ma- namely because it seemed like a Ru- Russia and the U.S. would have a better diplomatic relationship. So he, he also like points that out kind of as like, yeah, that probably happened. But we need to like still be diligent and investigate this question in a way that is like sound. July 7, 2017, Trump and Putin meet for the first time at the G20 summit. They're sort of sitting off to the side and there's lots of pictures of them sitting on their little chairs next to each other and like chatting amicably. They talk for over two hours, longer than planned, much longer than planned. 40 minutes of their conversation is about the election meddling, interestingly. But basically the overall conclusion is Trump says, did you do it? <laughs> Putin goes, no, I didn't, as he said the whole time. And Trump's yeah. like, okay, I believe you. Um, for 40 such minutes. A, such a compelling elf man he is. And it kind of like, you know, like, what it seems like the conclusion from that is that, like, they've discussed the meddling now in person, like, man to man. And it's like, now that's over for them. Like, in their reality, yeah. they're not going to return to that unless they're forced to. Um, in addition, the topics that they covered in their conversation were... Syria, relationship to North Korea, cybersecurity, Ukraine, and the results were at first they talked about like having a joint cybersecurity unit between the US and Russia, (laughs) which got like widespread criticism really quickly. And then like Trump tweeted being like, I just said we could do it. It's not like we're going to do it. (laughs) But what they did do, like the the main results uh, from that conversation was that they agreed to a ceasefire in Syria. In a part of Syria. Okay. Basically, like, Twitter, social media, internet, of both Russia and the U.S., like, react immediately to this meeting and start making fun of it and making jokes. So, again, Glenn Greenwald, our favorite man, points out that um, the main kind of narrative in the in the internet's reaction to the meeting was a, like, sort of in- enhanced version of making fun of Trump and Putin's gay relationship that has existed throughout the, like the entire campaign, but that like their meeting in person like pushed that metaphor, this like gay metaphor criticism, to a like extreme. Okay, so this is this is what we're gonna talk about in our propaganda hour. Glenn Greenwald retweets or like tweets this article, but he's not the one that wrote the article. I think we should just talk about the article directly. It's this article by Andrew Kahn for Slate, and the title is Liberals Have Turned Trump Into a Gay Villain Because Our Worst Villains Must Be Gay. And he kind of details how like being gay has been used in the past to undermine political movements, both by the left and the right. So he talks about McCarthyism, how McCarthyism initially targeted gay men um saying that like their gayness was like a manifestation of sort of like decadence and like loss of morals um which were like kind of ideas derived from like psychology philosophers so like the right would link 
homosexuality with communism and the left would link homosexuality with fascism and they basically just like talked about nazism as something having to do with like men having some sort of oedipal complex and they would like cite freud of course freud needs to like go die i was gonna say go suck a dick but go die (laughs) um not appropriate for this context and they would basically just be like yeah and hitler is like the father figure but it's fascist leaders in general like fascist fascist father figure. yeah yeah exactly and then he's just like talking about how this has always been a theme and how right now we're seeing like a resurgence of it on the left of people like referring to trump and putin as like butt buddies or like colbert was assailed for calling trump Putin's cock holster and like those sorts of things and what it like what exactly is his argument I mean like obviously it's in bad it's bad on like an intuitive level but he has like a he like articulates why he says that this is like a part of a larger phenomenon of a type of humor so it's like a homophobia it's a homophobic humor that isn't intentionally homophobic especially because right now it's being perpetuated by mainly liberals who certainly are not homophobic don't identify as homophobic um (laughs) and but that he's saying it's a phenomenon that exists in a sort of larger type of humor that is like what does he call it like ironic yeah i mean one of this one paragraph that i think is nice is he says nobody is thinking about theodore adorno who was adorno i think was the one who like sort of talked about this specific link between homosexuality and fascism but Mm -hmm. nobody's thinking about theodore adorno or joseph mccarthy when they called donald trump gay on twitter but the image of gay men as preening effeminate drones drawn from psychiatric sophistry saturated popular culture for decades and lingers to this day think of the gay villain trope our decadent president fits the mold well enough he is shamelessly narcissistic laughably gauche cosmically disappointed aspirant to fame and fortune and a convincing symbol of our country's postmodern ills so yeah just like this idea that homosexuality was used as a symbol of the death of society through decadence mm-hmm, mm-hmm. he says like a lot of liberal comedy right now it serves a fantasy of resistance through snark it serves what does that mean it serves a fantasy of resistance oh like it's not true resistance yeah it's just snark and the fact that like trump doesn't seem to actually care about homosexuality it like further is a waste of time and is like m- mostly just homophobic and like non-productive. I guess that's what it means by it like, seems it's like serves this idea that you're being resisted and that you're like hating on Trump, but like he's not, he's certainly not paying attention to it. Yeah. <laughs> like Then it's also the iteration of homophobia that's like kind of like latent or, or just not not explicit yeah the the one thing i do want to say like yes i agree that it's homophobic but it's combined with this other thing which is that like we view sexual relationships as like the the most intimate form of relationship and so if you really want to like drive home the point that like two people are like two peas in a pod then you ultimately have to say that they're in a sexual relationship Right. Like in the same way that people say like Oprah and Gail are together, you know, <laughs> like that sort of thing. I don't know if you're familiar with I'm that. Not. But but no. yeah, like you could like think about if one of these politicians was a woman, that would make a whole other that would be a whole other tone, obviously, and yeah. it would probably be yeah. probably be sexist in, in a 
It would be sexist. It would be Republicans saying like really fucked up shit about Hillary. Like that, yeah, like in a slut shamey way, probably. Like if Hillary was like <laughs> in a slut shamey way, or like let's not or, use like, Hillary's rape jokes. That's confusing, but yeah, like if like a man and a woman politician were like really t- being two peas in a potty. First of all, maybe people would be a lot more like careful especially liberals probably wouldn't make sexual jokes because they would realize that that was like inappropriate and like i think part of the whole the gay joke about two ostensibly or rather the gay the gay like homoerotic jokes about two publicly straight men is powerful straight men powerful straight men the the reason it's sort of like okay i think for people is because they're not actually gay and right. they're using it just like yeah as like a, a a metaphor for a relationship like if a man and a woman who are both straight were meeting then saying that they were having a sexual relationship would be like way too real kind of you know what i mean yeah it would also suggest like the way that the gay thing in this instance is used to describe how like putin is dominant over trump that's what it's used to describe. Whereas if you were saying like, oh, a man and a woman are having sex, then that like, yes, that could also be relayed as like male dominance over women, but it could also be relayed as like um, seductive. Yeah. Manipulation by the woman to get like what she wants through sex. Yeah. And the, sort of the which means that I at the end of the day agree with this article that the issue here isn't about the sex sexualization. It really is explicitly homophobic because it's sort of degrading like a homosexual relationship as being this like kind of like uh, unhealthy, decadent, like all of these, like that they have a kind of a problematic relationship where like one of them is like passive. Yeah. And the other one is like taking advantage and it's kind of rapey and it's like, but it's also right. not. And I mean, it's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's at its most basic. It's just like taking gay sex, which is something that a lot of people have and like is a form of intimacy and is like central to a lot of people's lives and making it a way of degrading two world leaders when like there's things about them that are way worse, you know, <laughs> that you could like talk about their relationship in a different way that's like all, could be portrayed as like way more disgusting and actually like morally corrupt. Like all the the fodder is there for that. And yet people default to just being like, ha like Trump takes it in the ass from Putin. Yeah. Or like meeting with your butt buddy or like what position are you taking that? Like people I, I'm it's like pretty surprising that people just like speak this way publicly. OK, do you have a body update? period today uh why do i always have my period <laughs> are you wearing your things i am which ones put them on straight in the morning i'm wearing the sport ones that say they have words on them and they say real menstruating human you're you are a walking advertisement for them yeah well until they fucking start funding our podcast Sponsor i'm gonna continue us. to do <laughs> okay that is the episode oh what do i want to say 
Be sure to subscribe and download our episodes. Review us if you haven't. Uh, and go ahead and follow us on social media. Uh, we're both on Twitter and Instagram at She's in Russia. And we'll see you next week. Boop, boop, boop.